This is a Stimulus Network podcast. Hello and welcome to The Cosmic Shed. Today's episode is all about Ammonite, the new film by Francis Lee starring Kate Winslet as Mary Ann. It was a sea lizard. Six feet long. Days it took to dig it out, clean it. I was only 11 years old. It's in the British Museum. That one was special. I've often heard your reputation discussed in the Geographical Society in London. Is there something you wanted, sir? My wife. She hasn't been at all well of late. She suffers from melancholia. I want her to walk the shoreline with you, learn from you. I'm not looking for an apprentice. I would pay a premium for a private audience. It's not easy work. I'm Andrew, and with me today is... Steve! And I'm delighted to say that we're joined today by Anya Pearson from Mary Anning Rocks, who we'll hear from very shortly, because I'm also delighted to say that here on the podcast we'll be hearing from Kate Winslet. When I was sent the script, I didn't know very much about Mary Anning. I I knew who she was, and I knew a little bit about what she had done in our history, but I knew nothing about the extent of her work and the scientific significance of of her work, and also the struggle that she had had to endure, not not only as a a woman, but as a working-class woman who had come from a very, very impoverished background and had experienced a huge amount of loss in her life. She lost her father when she was only 11 years old. Eight of her siblings had died, six while she was alive and two before she was born. So a woman who was self-taught and had lived a very harsh life filled with struggle. And so I I felt so intrigued just by reading those few things about her before I read the script and couldn't wait to see what Francis Lee, the brilliant filmmaker who had done God's Own Country, I couldn't wait to see what he had done with this same-sex love story because I loved God's Own Country so much. And so when I read the script, I knew that I wanted to do it. I mean, I I don't know, I felt it was... To me, it feels like a very important film and not just because it talks about Mary and it really celebrates her remarkable achievements and it really sets out the struggle that she experienced and that she lived in this patriarchal world that was so so, um, horribly dominated by successful rich men who were not as clever as she was. But making it a same-sex love story was something that I really admired and appreciated and felt almost worthy of her magnificence in a way as well. And then I just had to figure out how the hell I was going to play her. <laughs> Much more from Kate Winslet later in the podcast, but we are joined by Anya Pearson. Hello, Anya. Can you just tell us about Mary Anning Rocks? Mary Anning Rocks is my daughter's campaign that was started about three years ago. can't believe it's that long. I think COVID's kind of elongated it rather. Um, yeah, to take a year off of COVID. Um, yeah, so about uh, three years ago, she had, it was the 100 years of suffrage, so the school was doing a lot on suffragettes. 
her brilliant teacher had talked about the Melissa Fawcett statue in Parliament Square, which was the first ever female statue of a woman in Parliament Square. Um, and I think it was she was at that age where they kind of have that realisation that actually not everything's equal. Um, so we were coming off the beach, fossil hunting, we do that a lot as a family, um, and she stopped dead and asked me if we could go and see Mary's statue in Lyme Regis. Um, and we live about 20, 30 minutes up the road in a, along the Jurassic Coast, but in a, in a little village uh, nearer to Dorchester. And um, I had to explain to her that, you know, women in Victorian times, you know, weren't considered equal to men. And, and even worse, Mary was three things you didn't want to be in Victorian Britain. And that was a woman, poor and working class. So there was basically no statue. And it was her... Um, physical reaction of anger to that you know her neck went red and she she stood there with clenched fists and I just thought you know what you know I knew that she wasn't celebrated in the town and it always kind of bugged me um and it was that that was our light bulb moment really and I just said let's do something about it and and that's how it was born really that that particular day coming off the beach and it's been successful to say the least yeah yeah we were we smashed our crowdfund in um February yeah so we ran it um over the Christmas period. I think at the time, because COVID had pushed it back and pushed it back, I think we just all had a bit of a brain fart and we thought, let's just press the button on the crowdfund. And we did. But actually, looking back hindsight, it was a genius move because I think lockdown has just made people, um, over the Christmas period and beyond, has just made people a bit more focused about um, not, not themselves, making them look sort of externally a bit more and looking at... Um, sort of charities and organisations and what other you know people can do for other organisations. So um, yeah, we smashed it with we had a week to go and we smashed it. So it was it was a lot of money. We we you know we were a bit worried because it was over it was a hundred k and hundred k is a lot of money. Um, yes, it is. And I think we got to the seventy k mark, which basically meant we could physically make the statue because that's how much it would cost to commission the artist and the bronze and the foundry. And it kind of stuck at around that 70 mark. Um, we were a bit like, oh, God, maybe this is it. Maybe this is as far as we can go with it. But we needed that extra um, 30 to do, be able to do all the groundworks and the legal, all the boring stuff, basically. Um, and then we had a couple of absolutely amazing um, articles. Go. One went in The Times and one went in The Guardian. And then once that happened, it was a bit of a feeding frenzy. And we got picked up by all sorts of different, you know, we were on Radio 4. And, and then it was just, we just sat in bed together. So I got a phone call in the morning and I... Um, because obviously I, I lived on social media over this period and I just kept refreshing the feed, refreshing the feed and watching it go tick, 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 tick and then it went boom over the 100k mark and we were like, yeah! We were like leaping around and like screaming. I burst into tears, happy tears. And I think Evie, because obviously we've got to remember as well, is Evie was this gorgeous little bundle of energy that started this with me now she's 13 she's like everything's just too embarrassing and she, I think there was a bit of relief of like thank god you know we've raised the money and you can leave me alone and she doesn't have to talk to the press do photo shoots she hates them you know so um yeah it was great it was a great moment that's oh, brilliant and do pass on our congratulations to Evie won't you I will do. I can actually hear her bouncing around next door I said to her keep quiet I can hear her is she is she not up for podcasts? She, oh, I can try and drag her in in a minute to say hello, but you'll get it. Honestly, it's like it's like um the fast not the fast show. What was it when the, the Perry and um, oh, Kevin and Perry? Yeah, honestly, <laughs> Kevin and Perry come midnight. She went upstairs. This beautiful, gorgeous. Hi, mommy, I love you. And then she came down like so boring. <laughs> Um, I'm. I, it's really exciting to to hear that you've met your funding goals. 
Um, what's the plan now? When can I come and see Mary Anning's statue? So our artist Denise Dutton, who is incredible, um, she is working on the maquette, the artist maquette, and that's basically like a, a 3D uh, scaled-down version, and I think it's going to be about 12 or uh, 13 inches in height, so that's a 3D rendering of what she will... We released the sketches, actually, um, in February, so... Um, maybe we can share that online or if you want to see Definitely. that you can see it on social media it's all over social media um, so yeah so the maquette will happen and then once the maquette is, is approved by the trustees and the committee we're going to have a little bit of a hopefully fingers crossed a bit of a soiree in Lyme Regis where people the Lyme Regis folks can come and see the maquette um, oh, and then once that's done we're hoping to have an unveil date on her 223rd birthday which is the 21st of may 2022 so next year next may oh brilliant we'll be well out of covid by then i guess hopefully yeah can we come yeah come well you've got vip tickets definitely amazing thanks very much uh, i i want to talk about the film i think we'll come back to the statue and mary anning rocks and things as well but one of the things that is missing from the film uh, i know it's part of the statue is Mary Anning's dog. So we um, we literally would have been hung, drawn and quartered if we didn't put the dog in the statue because her biggest fans are children. So I think it was about four or five years ago um, she was put in the national curriculum, I, th- I think. I can't remember what stage it was. So basically the experts on Mary uh, are kids between the ages of uh, five, six, seven and eight. Um, and actually, funnily enough, when you go down to the beaches... Every summer you can see these kids on fossil hunts dragging their parents along because they've learned about it in the classroom and they're all fascinated by his story. It's brilliant to see. So we knew that um, that Trey, her dog, would very much be part of, of the sculpture. But I think in defence of the film, the, the particular timeline that they've gone for is at the sort of latter end of Mary's career. So not so she was at the height of her fame, she was in her 20s, her mid-20s, which is when um, she would have had Trey. And unfortunately, Trey died in a landslide that nearly killed her actually as well um so contextually timeline speaking that that's that's right she wouldn't have had a dog well she wouldn't have had trey but then again all dog owners if you lose a dog you get another one because you love dogs so i think she would if she if you're a doggy person i don't know it would have been nice to have had a dog yeah i saw some good stuff on your website actually about you know when people get dogs without properly thinking it through first yeah yeah so we we get asked a lot actually about what what breed Trey is um what do we think and is there any kind of research that's been done so Evie and I just thought we'd do our own kind of little bit of research um and it was quite interesting what it threw up that actually um, lots of old Victorian pictures of people with their dogs obviously huge dog lovers but the one thing that he threw up was that um, they, they're not, none of the breeds on these in these pitches, obviously wealthy people because they could have the photographs taken, but none of these dogs uh, would have passed muster at the kennel club. You know, they're a real bunch of mutts and mongrels, which is brilliant because we've got rescue dogs, mutts and mongrels. Um, so, uh, yeah, yeah, that it threw up some quite interesting things about lockdown pets. Yeah, and the, yeah. The, they're really worried about what... The, I mean, it's already started. I read an article um, last week from um, Battersea Dogs Home that... It's already started. All these people bloody handing their animals in. Ooh. Yeah, it's going to be a real problem, isn't it? After lockdown and things. If if anybody's thinking about getting a dog, just you know, seriously consider rehoming uh, a dog rather than going shopping for a new one. Anyway, 
Let's get back to the film and let's get back to Kate Winslet. So when I was preparing for the part, I mean, I did have a good few months. I think I had about four or five months, which was a little bit of a luxury, actually. And uh, and so I worked quietly on my own on the sort of bolting down of the emotional side of Mary. And for me, I decided that because she had lost her father and she was raised by a mother who was so grief stricken all of the time and probably lived in fear as well of something happening to Mary and, and her one remaining other sibling who was named Joseph, actually, in truth, that I decided that Mary probably had some quite significant abandonment issues and things that would have made her very socially awkward and fearful of connection with with people just on a basic friendship level. And so that really added layers to her in terms of how private she was and how isolated she felt compelled to sort of make herself from from the world but then the physical side of it I I worked with the people in Lyme Regis who knew more about Mary than is sometimes even found in books so the Lyme Regis Museum were enormously enormously helpful I worked with um, a man named Paddy Howe who was a is a very well-known local paleontologist in Lyme Regis he really taught me how to how to fossil find and how to discover ammonites how to hit hammers into nodules and crack them open in the right way so you don't shatter whatever might be inside he really did teach me how to do all of those things and and for that I would will be eternally grateful because I could I couldn't have not just understand understood the craft of it but the elements of of physical change that happened to me as a result of working with those old tools as I had to learn with and use in the film and just being out on those beaches for weeks on end in the sideways rain and bent over and just learning how much that cold would have you know it got into my bones and my, how my body would hurt a lot and that made a, a real difference to how how we decided to dress Mary how how she moved how she held herself and how she felt at the beginning and the end of each day I mean her body would have just creaked the whole time you know and she would have been very very strong too underneath all of those layers and so I you know, I changed some things up Physically, my exercise things, I changed a little bit, made sure that I didn't lose weight, actually, because that can often happen to me on a film just by accident with working so hard. And um, so I just I wanted to focus on those things and just keep her very physically robust in spite of how sort of much her body probably hurt a lot of the time. Hmm. I, I quite like the sound of losing weight accidentally. <laughs> cream cake and it just falls off me. <laughs> yeah. But joking about it, I mean, you have seen the film a couple of times. What do you make of it? Yeah, so I uh, risked my life and went to see it in lockdown. It was the most bizarrest thing I'd ever done in a, in a theatre, socially distanced with masks on. Yeah, it was very bizarre. And I dragged my poor friend along, Jackie Walton, and she was like, ooh, and I'm like, you're coming with me, sit down, you know. Um, but that was the premiere, and the premiere, I think, was that in October? I can't remember. I think the premiere... I think you could go and see it in the cinemas in October, and it was in October. It was part of the British film, um, of a British film event or something or other, and you could go along and see it. And actually, the the premiere that I saw, uh, I hadn't realised was a hugely abridged version, because then when I downloaded it with my mum when it first came out, was it last Friday or the Friday before? I can't remember. Um, we downloaded it together and watched it. It was a very different film that I saw with my mum. So, yeah, I was quite surprised, actually. What have they missed out? Uh, a lot of the sex scenes. <laughs> and and we're not, me and my mum are not prudes. We're not at all. But I was just a bit kind of like, oh, well, that wasn't in the first one. And, oh, uh, Mrs. Yeah, OK. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it was a very, very different film. And I think it gave a little bit of a different context to the film for me. 
because there'd been so much made uh, about the sex scenes and uh, more about the sex scenes actually about than the same sex relationship that when I first saw it in the abridged version I came out of the cinema and I said to and I, I, I wanted to take Jackie because she's not into fossils she's not into film she's just a really lovely friend so she would give a, a really unbiased opinion of it and I said what did you think and she said I, I don't know what all the fuss is about and I went yeah I was a bit you know but then when I saw saw the proper one that we downloaded I was like oh right okay yeah I see now why people would be a bit upset by that <laughs> yeah it's an interesting decision to to cut them out isn't it what do you make of the portrayal of Mary in the film I don't come from a science background at all I come from, I'm from the fashion industry and I think Possibly that's been a, a a good thing because it's enabled me to kind of step away from from because there are lots of kind of like groups of different people in the scientific community that are hugely protective of her, and rightly so. Um, and when it first broke, there was a lot of chatter on social media, especially on our pages, specifically on Facebook, from a lot of kind of. I mean, these were like um, people with uh, paleontologists, people within the scientific community. That, and I agreed with them that, that she was she's so interesting enough without having to fabricate anything really that we don't fully know. And I get, you know, I get that, you know, Francis Lee has said, well, we don't know, but, you know, we, we can uh, we can, you know, assume and we can write fiction. And, and I get it's, it's not a biopic. It needed to have, you know, that that kind of um, romance for it to be Hollywood and to be able to sell and you know sell tickets. But yeah, there was a lot of of our scientific community that were quite verbal about it. And then I think when the newspapers picked up on it and then took the quotes off our Facebook page, and I think it was a daily fail that then ran some <laughs> hideous thing. And yeah, it it uh, all got kind of a bit blown out of proportion. But yeah, I I was a bit disappointed uh, at first. But we uh, but I was always led to believe reading into some of the interviews that he gave. Uh, and then there was a lovely article that the girls' um, trailblazer team um, wrote a, a brilliant article for the um, Independent, I think. And um, it kind of led me to believe that it wasn't just about this one particular relationship. It was about the female relation. This this kind of like um, group of women that and it's well documented in letters and diaries of the time that Mary had this lovely bank of, of, of girl girl power that kind of lifted her up, you know, these kind of middle-class and upper-class wives of these important men that were helping her, like the Philpott sisters and like Charlotte Merchantson, who actually in real life is 20 years her senior. I know uh, Sir Sharonan's character is this very young, feeble, ill, sickly, uh, but in real life, yeah. uh, Charlotte Murchison was... 20 years her senior and a very influential geologist in her own right of um, news um, and interviews with Francis Lee about how actually it was about the support mechanism of all the, the women that were supporting Mary, all these kind of fantastic, the Philpott sisters and uh, Charlotte Murchison, etc. And, and I kind of felt that it was going to be more of a movie about this sort of support system and just a bit disappointed that there wasn't more about, you know, even... Elizabeth Philpott's character, there was a, a little a, an illusion that there was something that had gone on there with a the relationship, um, you know, and in her own right, Elizabeth Phil, Elizabeth Philpott was was an incredible um, fossil collector. You know, her fish, uh, the the fish fish collection that she had is now in, in the Oxford Museum, I think, and it's just an amazing collection. So I, I just felt a little bit that I was felt that it was going to be one thing, and then was surprised when it when it wasn't. <laughs> 
I I I tend to I, I try and keep away from media about movies before we we watch them for for shared episodes. And so I I knew of Mary Anning, um, and uh, the film was called Ammonite. And I was expecting something with a few more fossils uh, and a, a bit more about the the challenges that Mary Anning faced about getting credited for her work and, and getting things out there. Um, so yeah, I, I was uh, initially uh, sort of surprised at the the focus of the movie like, away from the science and towards the relationship. I think as a creative decision, um, you're right, it's got people seeing it, it's got people talking about it, um, and, and, and that's a good thing. I'm, I'm not sure what I feel about sort of the... Um, the liberty that's been taken about making assumptions and 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 uh, things things that we don't really know about, but the um, that that whole I've, I've, since since watching the movie and reading some more um, about Charlotte Murchison and, and and other women that Mary Anning worked with and had support from, um, it it that the thing that really surprised me about that was how much the women who at the time were sort of seen as sitting alongside the men that were doing the science um, did and contributed to the field. It's it's really opened my eyes up. There's a book uh, by Richard Holmes called The Age of Wonder, um, how the romantic generation discovered the beauty and terror of science. Um, and, and that touches on people like Caroline Herschel and other women. Um, but but the, the, the names that were coming up when I was looking through Mary Anning's um, biography uh, were the wives of these people that, that Richard Holmes largely focuses on. And so I, I, it, it's certainly done wonders for me in terms of my understanding of, of the relationships and the networks and things at the time. Yeah, it's, it's definitely interesting from that point of view. I really enjoyed seeing Lyme Regis again as well. It's a long time since I've been there, and it's going to be a long time before I go back. And well, obviously, May next year, hopefully. But um, I, I, I think it's... I'm just delighted that it's a film about Mary Anning, and I think, you know, we've got Kate Winslet in it. People are talking about it. I hope it's going to be successful and people are going to watch it. You know, I liked it. I liked it a lot. It's an artistic piece. But, you know, we can discuss the merits of that as we go along. I, I think you know the, the the sex scene side of it the same sex doesn't really concern me i can totally take what the director says about you know why do we assume that she would be straight yeah yeah and i get that yeah but i, I guess the question is why have those scenes in it at all that that's what got me for for something that was uh that is just a hypothesis um the amount of time they focus on it and the amount of graphical stuff they include on it is is overemphasized and again that's a creative decision it's a deliberate choice to emphasize that and and again i i imagine that the the fact that they wanted people to talk about this was like like played a part in that you mentioned talking about the the movie and the creative side of things there's there's some things that i really found interesting and some things that i really loved about it i the the soundtrack or lack of it uh, was a really interesting uh, decision. The the whole first sort of ten minutes of the movie is just the sound of the waves, and like to to the point where it's sort of overwhelming in in the, in the soundtrack. And it's, there's not a lot of dialogue in a lot of it. I guess that's partly um, due to to the way that Kate Winslet's portraying Mary Anning's nature. Um, there's a there's a couple of very well placed kind of musical 
augmentations to to, to the soundtrack, but it's there's largely not a lot of sort of background uh, sort of creative. It's it's all kind of um, situational audio. As a, as a film, personally, I thought it was very beautiful. And uh, one of the things that I we sort of saw quite early early doors when they were actually filming in April two thousand and eighteen. I think in Lime Regis, with the costumes were just. And because I, I, I come from a fashion background, for me, that was my like, oh, they better get that right. And they did. It was bang on. And I was really pleased with the, the, the costume um, and, the, and the attention to detail. But it was a very, and I've always said this, when I saw it um, at the premiere, it, a very, it was like painting with scenes and, um, and and the gaps in between conversations. And, the, and, you know, he's very good at that. And if you look at um, God's Own Country, again, very little dialogue and it's the it's the, it's the spaces in between the, the things that are not said and the the cutaways to the landscapes and you know just very very beautifully done um so all of that you know and Kate Winslet you know she could act away I mean she's an amazing actress you know so yeah. there's no you know and, and Saoirse Ronan as well you know absolutely love Saoirse big things for that um young woman um, but yeah, I I thought it was very and you know and the, and Lime Regis and the Dorset landscape was with the biggest star you know that opening scene for me, I just so wanted more of it because it just showed you the difficulties of kind of you know field work and scrambling up that muddy embankment to grab something and then it fell and smashed into two and you know it was like oh you know and she did bloody skirts and having to and that and that's exactly what you know it would have been like but I wanted more of that you know I wanted kind of more of that context um but yeah a very very beautiful film without a shadow of a doubt i wonder if they'll have a director's cut where there's lots of long scenes of her scraping at fossils and things yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah for all the scientists i love that really or you could get zack snyder (laughs) no no four hours of looking at boxes (laughs) the the creative side of the movie aside from the sort of historical accuracy i i agree it's a beautiful movie the both of the the lead actors um they they portray their characters really well i think it must be really hard to act the awkward parts of it kate winslet was was talking about her kind of um perception her, her, her the way she sees mary anning as being sort of introverted isolated um uh, got fear of um losing people and disconnection from from her family situation which must have been tragic i mean the 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 loss of um kids was not outsized for the for the time um but uh, the, the 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 way that Gemma Jones plays uh Mary Anning's mother uh is just just fantastic yeah she's very well observed that isn't it the the interesting thing about that clip of Kate though where she talks about how um she wanted to portray this this character that had a lot of loss in her life um i think when i heard that interview i kind of uh it, it kind of it feels like kate's taken her inspiration from a quite a, a narrow field of of information because um there, there's not a lot of letters written by mary um there's not a lot of actual information that we can um glean from but what there is is very telling and i think for me 
Um, what reading sort of there's a great book that's just been published by Tom Sharp called The Fossil Woman of Lyme, um, which is brilliant. Um, and that he kind of chronicles within that all these snippets of diaries and letters that have been left behind for Mary. And from that f- and, and the kind of studying her and looking at her for the past three years, I get a very different uh, vibe of who Mary was. I think she was a very shrewd um, and very likeable social person because I think she would have had to have done all of that to have been able to engage in the society so this is a working class un- uneducated woman that self-educated herself that was holding court in uh, realms that weren't you know it was impossible for someone of a working class to do so I think she would have been a very articulate very shrewd very accomplished would have known all the etiquette of the of the time uh, what to say what not to say the clothes that she would have worn so I, I don't think I don't get this pinched kind of restrained sad grumpy I think the thing that bugged me a little bit about the film was that the the portrayal of her was too monosyllabic too grumpy too cut off too closed and for me that's not a Mary especially at that age where they were portraying her which was later on in her life she would have been more comfortable in her you know in 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 her you know in in her body and who she was and in the fame that she'd had so yeah I yeah I struggle a little bit with all that frosty coldness but again that's an artistic license because his other film if you've seen god's own country there are very sort of similarities within that and again this is a very cold family that's not you know very open they don't talk um to one another but it all turns out lovely in the end in god's own country i just feel like i wish it turned out a bit better for mary in this one i really appreciate that perspective actually it's it's difference between what what we know and and what's creative interpretation is is really useful to hear. To say there's two famous uh, quotes there's a piece written by uh, a man at, of of the time that actually describes her as a as a sour-faced pinched miserable bint basically. Um and then there's another lovely beautiful bit that was um in a, in a diary of a of um the the wife of um, I think it was a mayor of London or something anyway and she writes this absolutely beautiful uh, and it, they were both written around about the same time and the piece that she writes about Mary is this accomplished amazing um, young woman who um, could hold her own um, talking to these great men of science and how wonderful you know she's very articulate and intelligent you know yeah yeah it just makes me think today you know you wouldn't take well but I wouldn't take what the Daily Mail thinks and writes about Greta Thunberg um, I'd take my own experiences from seeing her on film going to see her speak live and things and I imagine that voice about the pinched Mary Anning might be similar to that Danny Mel thing cheap tourist water it pleases me you struck up a friendship together what is it something nothing You know, it's 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 Francis's artistic license, you know, and he's made a very beautiful film. But if I'm honest, they've used Mary as this vessel to tell this story of unrequited love, which is beautifully told, you know. Um, but I, I, it could have been any Victorian working class woman and any upper class woman having, you know, having, an, having a, a, a love affair that was never going to work or happen. I, I just struggled to see why Mary Anning for that purpose well I don't know if this is true but I'd like to think that it's because you know it's Mary Anning it's what made me watch the film maybe that's the reason to get more people to watch the film and don't get me wrong you know I all publicity is good publicity you know Oscar Wilde said what's worse than 
being talked about is not being talked about, you know. So as far as I'm concerned, it's all ticking boxes, good news for us, you know, because it's really put her on the map and started making people... I mean, we we track um, search, we've got Google Analytics on our website and we've been tracking it and, and the amount of volume of people that have put search terms in that is the real Mary Anning, it's just brilliant and I love that. So it's made people um, be more aware of her and want to know... At, exactly who is she you know what, what who was she you know so that that's been great for us as well oh, that's great to hear great to hear so we've uh, been talking about uh, the interaction a bit between Saoirse Ronan and Kate Winslet on screen let's hear about it from Kate Winslet well Saoirse was such a she was such a, a breath of fresh air to me all the time because I can be a little bit intense sometimes, I think, when I'm concentrating. And and also I'm so afraid that I'm going to miss something or get it wrong that I concentrate, I think, really quite a lot. And I'm sure that might be a bit annoying sometimes to other people around me. But Sersh is able to be very free and light. She has a sort of a, a just a really wonderful centeredness to her and a, and a confidence that isn't pushy or loud it's just present and actually that helped me enormous amount because it always meant that if I felt oh god you know how am I going to do this scene Saoirse would be like ah we'll be fine let's get in there she she's very much roll up your sleeves and, and get in there which I am too but because playing Mary was so frightening for me and didn't come naturally in any way shape or form I felt very preoccupied by Mary all the time and so it was always lovely to have that counterpart in Saoirse with her lovely bubbly sunshiny disposition and you know there was a lot of trust and friendship and um, fun between the two of us which we were very lucky to have because you know that doesn't happen all the time you know actors can be quite weird and uh, and interesting you know and it's always such a privilege to see how odd everyone is but Saoirse and I actually were really were quite similar so that was yeah that was really great. Uh, more from Kate Winslet later in the podcast but Anya do you have sort of a favourite or aware of any particularly good portrayals of Mary Anne? I personally, and again, this is a fictional piece about Mary, but this it's what really opened Mary up for me was the Tracy Chevalier novel called Remarkable Creatures. So when anybody ever kind of contacts us on social media and says, oh, I really want to know more about her, what books are out there, I always quote a, a non-fiction and a fictional book, and it's always the Tracy Chevalier book because I just think she's a brilliant writer um, and there's an, a narrative through that. Um, but it really, she really hits home with the kind of difficulties of, of what it must have been for Mary at that time, doing what she did. Um, and then the other book I always quote is the new one that's just come out, which is the Tom Sharp one, which is also brilliant. Um, yeah, so that 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 there, sort of from a from book point of view, um, from a film point of view, there's a really lovely short film by a filmmaker called Natasha Mattox. Incidentally, did our... Um, crowdfund campaign film which is brilliant and a lot of the um bits of film within that are from natasha's film and the full version of that is on omeletto uh, so anyone can go in and watch it and i love it because it, it's a very artistic interpretation a very beautiful interpretation um but it's more about her struggles um, and her sort of thought processes um, of how she came to the conclusion of a lot of her discoveries so, yeah, I, I, I definitely watch that. Lovely stuff. We'll do. And, of course, we'll post the link to that on thecosmicshed.com. I think this is where I get to with Ammonite, actually. It's a it's an artistic film about Mary Anning, but it leaves open the possibility for more films about Mary Anning, and that's no bad thing. Yeah. Women in, uh, in, in STEM 
uh, in in lots of fields, including my my own field of engineering, are, are still underrepresented. Um, and I, I think the work that you're doing, Anya, and and, and the wider kind of raising of awareness of female scientists uh, in in history and uh, in in the present is 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 really really important. Where where do you see what you're doing sort of fitting in with modern representation uh, and, and awareness and presence of, of, of women uh, in uh, STEM fields? Yeah, well, there's, there's three... If you, on our website, we talk about the, the three reasons why we wanted to build a statue for Mary, and obviously the obvious one is that because she bloody deserves one. It's a long time coming, tick. The second one was that um, Evie has always said from being very young that she wants to be an astronaut, she wants to go into space. Um, and we've always said to her, you know, as long as you do well at school, you know, and you get all your sciences, you know, there's no real kind of um, sort of barriers that, you know, you, sh- you know, you should do well. She wants to actually go to NASA. She's very adamant about that. And also, incidentally, she wants to design interiors. So I've basically said, well, by the time you're ready to go to NASA, we'll have things on the moon. So we'll, that, places to live that we'll need to create yeah. so you can do a double whammy and put them together. You know, Interior designer in space. Definitely. <laughs> definitely, definitely, definitely. We'll have to put her in touch with uh, Frank Bonger, who's the guy behind Aurora Station the space hotels we've got an episode with frank uh, a few years ago now oh have you really yeah yeah, yeah. it's back in the in the archive it's um, it was great fun talking to him actually but, but let's get back to the statue we wanted to kind of put mary into the picture to give women historical women within science a, a modern context and a modern voice and i think what's particularly amazing about mary is that is it because she was working class you know so a lot of women of historical women of science came from very kind of well-to-do educated um wealthy families uh, and i think what's what's particularly brilliant about mary's story is that she had none of that but still did these incredibly amazing things and and i think what a lot of people don't talk about uh, enough about mary is that not only was she finding these things digging them out cleaning them up uh, and kind of drawing them and writing about them. She was also dissecting squid and fish to fully understand what it was that she was looking at. You know, so th- she was, you know, she had the, you know, the whereabouts to kind of do that kind of um, research with no training. You know, this was a natural. And it just, you know, makes me so sad that, you know, if she was alive today, you know, she'd be, she'd be, she'd be at university, she'd be a professor, you know, what incredible, amazing things could she have discovered and done if she'd have been given that education and, and kind of given that, that support, you know, so. You've, you've, you've touched on a, a, a few kind of real key points there. You, you, you're right that girls uh, tend to do better at school than boys, certainly by the, the metric of GCSE and A-level results. Um, but then as, as we get towards um, sort of later decisions about fields to go in, that there's a huge drop-off, um, partly based on choice of, of subjects to go in so there, there's obviously a, a perception um, sort of gap there we, we at the University of Bristol we're working towards 30% of our engineering students being female by 2030 um, and, and it, it's even that I mean that, that's a, a realistic goal that we're on track for but it's still not equality equity um, and You've, you've touched on a few other things, talking about your daughter and wanting to um, be an astronaut, also interested in the more creative side of things, the design side of things. And 
um, the, the world seems to be sort of moving from STEM to STEAM uh, and talking about bringing the arts in. I, I don't know how you see that impacting on uh, Evie and other, other girls' choices. Yeah, I think it's if they can't see it, they can't be it. It's that old adage, isn't it? So if they don't see the role models and they don't see these women physically, then they kind of cut themselves out. They go, well, it's not for me, it's not for women, you know. And obviously that's wrong. You know, all genders can do whatever they want, but it's definitely about role models and not seeing the women that they can look up to within those fields. So I think that's where we need to really kind of like break the mould and, and, and make changes for sure, definitely. And your statue can only contribute help with that. And of course, the University of Bristol is putting a, a statue of Henrietta Lacks in place. Yes. So I was going to come to that. We're all a, a member. There's a big group of us now. There's about 12 of us. Um, a, a group of us were called Shiro's or Our Heroes. And the Henrietta Lacks group, We I've been talking a lot with them, actually absolutely amazing i mean i had no idea i kind of heard about the um cells that never die these miracle cells i, I kind of knew I'd, i think i'd watched a documentary years ago about it but had no clue that they were from this incredible woman that were taken from her without her permission but yeah. all the science that's come off the back of these incredible um, cells that just never die you know like polio vaccinations even covid's been used you know, to be developed with her with her cells that were taken from in the 1940s without her permission. And a woman of colour, you know, and just incredible. Yeah, just uh, love that campaign. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. And isn't it lovely to be living in a time where we tear down statues of racists and replace them with statues of brilliant scientists? Yeah, yeah, definitely, totally. But I had an email from her today saying that they've had quite a few comments to say, why are you putting a statue of a black woman up in Bristol? It's like, what? Just beggar's belief. It's like, see, that's when I get all Mancunian and when I roll my sleeves and just punch some people, you know, just literally. That, that, there's words, you know, what do you do with, with comments like that, you know? Yeah, just ignore them and quietly put a statue up, I reckon. <laughs> <laughs> and the other good news, of course, is that NASA have announced that they're going to put the first person of colour and the first woman on the moon for the Artemis programme. Brilliant. Yeah, and uh, Kate Winslet has some more positive thoughts on the future. I think this decade is absolutely going to be about women championing other women without judgment and without hesitation in any way, shape or form and really celebrating achievements and voices and what people have to say, what women have to say. And it's a very exciting time, I think, to be a woman and actually to be a middle-aged woman where hopefully I'm able to share things that I've experienced that will have an impact on a younger generation, you know, because they are going to be the great leaders of the world and they are the ones who are going to change the world. And for me, I'm trying to use my words really mindfully and respectfully because I genuinely think we have a duty now to pass on some language that they can use that will hopefully buoy them through as a collective group of really strong leaders. And it's very exciting. It certainly is. And Anya, I know there's something else exciting because you actually went beyond your target for money and you now have the Mary Anning Learning legacy that you're using that extra funding for. So this will be a sort of sustainable thing that will live on beyond the statue um, and the main kind of focus of that is we're going to kind of look at taking children from underrepresented sort of groups and minorities um, and bring them down to the beach and fossil hunt and follow in Mary Anning's footsteps. So hopefully, you know, if we can just get one child to kind of click on with something like that then jobs job done really you know 
think it's hugely important to work with, with, with children that would never get an opportunity to do that and fund that for them. So that that's going to be a real fun, fun part. And that's through the same crowdfunding campaign yeah yeah so the 100k specifically for the for the statue and the raising of the statue um, and then we've got another um, 50k that we're going after and i think we're probably about we've got about 6k in at the moment but we've got um the gift aid which is looking at around fifteen thousand. so we're looking at earmarking that for this educational part of of mary annin's learning legacy and we're gonna have things on like a mary's map that will be a free downloadable app that we're working with students at the aub with so you can wander around Lyme Regis. We're thinking about maybe a bit of augmented reality so that people can kind of interact with the statue as well and near field technology that we might build into the statue. So I think it's massively important that whatever we do, we contextualise this statue for a modern audience. Because I think, you know, just putting up a statue and expecting people to go, you know, away and, and do the, the research. And I think all that information needs to be there and around around her. And we can do that with modern technology, which is a brilliant. So if people want to support that, it's the, the same crowdfunding campaign as the, the, the statue, yeah, which we'll link to from the Cosmic Shed website. Yeah, it's still up and live. Because we're a charity, it's, it'll just stay running in the background. Super. Oh, that's wonderful stuff. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to coming to see the statue and experiencing all this stuff that goes around it as well. And if people do come, there's a chance you might bump into Kate Winslet. Working in Lyme Regis was just wonderful. And I actually feel a bit of a yearning for it. You know, I even in lockdown tried to work out, well, is it really too far to just go for a walk? It's most definitely too far to just go for a walk, but it's the only place I've been tempted to go. And yeah, I miss it actually. The people are wonderful there. There's a real sense of community, people who love it, whose families have lived there for a very, very long time. I worked with the Lyme Regis Museum who were very helpful. There's a wonderful lady who's a volunteer at the museum called uh, Lizzie Wiscom, who is a partially sighted volunteer. And her voice to me was the most wonderful version of a Dorset accent that I had ever heard. And she would sit with me with her guide dog, Mr. Healy, and we would talk for hours and hours and I would record her and we'd share stories and conversation. And, and I actually tried, I, I, I used her voice as my template for Mary. So even just having someone so generous with their time like that made a really big impact on on the voice of Mary Anning. And I, I'll be so grateful for that forever. And just walking on those beaches, you know, working on the beaches that Mary would have worked and would have known like the back of her hand. I love the Jurassic Coast. We spend a lot of time in Cornwall and the journey to Cornwall doesn't actually necessarily take you on that road. But I always take that road because I just love going through hardy country and the Jurassic coast is just stunning and it takes a lot longer to get to Cornwall that way, but it's well worth it. Thank you very much indeed to Kate Winslet and of course to Anya Pearson from Mary Anning Roxford for joining us here on this episode of the Cosmic Shed. Anya, I appreciate that the teenage years are just awful and something that Evie's got to get through, but (laughs) will you ask her when she's become a space designer on the space hotel ask her to come and talk to us oh definitely yeah 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 definitely i'll tell her she has to come and see the cosmic shed oh, yeah you, you can't go to space and then not come to the cosmic shed <laughs> and of course thank you very much to steve for joining me my pleasure i'm i'm looking forward to coming down and, and seeing the statue let's uh let's do an update episode when uh we take our field trip to lime regis andrew definitely jump in on ice can't wait oh sounds brilliant and we'll be back very soon with that episode on Stowaway and, of course, 
the vast of night. And thank you very much for listening. The Cosmic Shed. Science fact. Science fiction. And everything in between. This podcast is brought to you by the Stimulus Network.